日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast. We'll be continuing with part three of our JSA coverage. So, without further ado, on with the show. I was really interested to see that somebody was going to be talking about minority language issues、mm. with the Ainu.、Yeah. Um, I'm not a language person, I'm not a contemporary issues person so much necessarily, but even so, as an Okinawa, stu- as an Okinawa studies person. You know, talking about the Ainu is, is relevant and, and interesting. But、um, she basically she was contrasting, she was trying to compare、um, Japan and France,、yeah. mm-hmm. different approaches to recognizing and, and, and dealing with minority language issues. But,、um, you know, in the end, I don't think she actually talked about the language at all. Now that I think. Yeah, the actual language、mm-hmm. itself, I don't think she really talked about. You know, I mean, she talked about how Japan has, in recent years, Actually, as late as 2008, Japan finally officially recognized the Ainu as a quote unquote indi- indigenous group.、Hmm. Some years prior, maybe like in the 80s, Japan signed the UN Convention on Protection of、uh, Indigenous Groups or whatever it, the exact title is. Sort of saying. Well, yeah, while sort of、uh, putting a little asterisk saying, we don't actually have Aborigines. We don't,、yeah. we don't have any <laughs> Aboriginal groups, completely ignoring the Ainu and the Okinawans. Yeah, and I think it was、uh, Nakasone, was it, who said?、Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Prime Minister Nakasone. It was basically like, yeah,、um, we, we don't have but, any. You know, but they assigned it to a. Is that like Iran? There's no gays here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs>、um, and so 1997, they, repealed, they finally repealed the law that was made in Meiji,、um, the Kyudojin、uh, law that was trying to protect the Ainu as former Aborigines. And、uh, we could go into. I mean, I was actually kind of curious about that because. And we can go into lots of detail about what exactly. The Meiji government did wrong or did, did too wrong the Ainu,、mm-hmm. right?、Um, Whether they did that wrong to the Ainu.、Um, although I'm not quite sure how that really plays out, like why this law needs to be repealed in the 90s. They're recognizing them as former Aborigines. They're not, not, they're not insisting that they are Japanese, that they're not recognizing them at all. So, but in any case. I think the implication was it's a, a dead culture that no longer exists, so it's not、yeah. necessary to concede anything to them. Right. Which well, was, which it, was it, the important point that she made that I finally、yeah. understand it a little bit. It was, it was a protection、yeah. of their rights as Japanese in the sense that, okay, just because you're descended from an Ainu, we can't、uh, discriminate against you. Right. That's but it was、idea. not anything to.、Um, yeah. You know, protect Ainu language or protect, you know, give them well, but, allowances for is,、uh, culture is how I understood、yeah. it. But it, it, initially it was actually. When this, when, when this law was first enacted in the Meiji period, it was, there were elements that were meant to protect Ainu um, um, livelihood and culture. But part of it was like it, the law mandated that Ainu had to work the land,、hmm. and the law mandated that. The, that the government had to give the Ainu a certain amount of land. Each person had to have a certain amount of land. But then, it, number one, the government ran, ran out of land to give them. And number two, it was, some of it was poor land, and you know, like, some of them were not good farmers. A lot of them, well, basically, none of them were good farmers because they ancestrally, traditionally, had been fishermen,、mm-hmm. trappers, skinners, hunters. And basically, the, the whole thing just kind of failed. Agri- agricultural production in Hokkaido. 
failed to get all these people who were mandated by the law to work the land and not to do other jobs. So anyway, so it definitely had issues in the Meiji period, but I think your point, I think her point for about, yeah, that it was um, implying that they were former Aborigines, that they were a dead culture or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, today, from what I understand, the Ainu language has less than 20 native speakers. Wow. Um, yes. I mean, there, there are those people who try to maintain it, in ter- it, 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 at the very least, in terms of sort of local community a, uh, activities and in terms of sort of running or maintaining cultural centers for tourists or various other kinds of activities Which like I've that. been to. I was in mm. 1996, oh, really? but I, I went to uh, the little Ainu village in Shiraoi or something. Ainu? I, think, I think that sounds like a name. They, they, they dress up in Ainu costume and the men had beards, but other than that, they looked like Japanese oh, to really? me. Mm. But right. again, this is my memory of you know being an undergraduate exchange student yeah. way too long ago. So. And I've seen some documentaries on it and I've seen that some of these people, you know, who run these centers, who work in these centers, they have clothing and they have the beard and they and they have traditional Ainu foods, you know, so there's mm. definitely some elements of the culture that are still active, but um, anyway, I, unfortunately she did not, uh, in this particular talk, she really did not talk about the language at all. What it reminds me of uh, Haustenbos in, in uh, Nagasaki. We have the, the, oh, the Germans... Dutch, you know, Dutch, 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 whatever. Dutch, right, right. The, the, the Germans, the, Dutch, the whatever. The Dutch yeah. theme park. Yeah, um, I, uh, we're so culturally sensitive here. Germans, Dutch, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I decided not European. to go to that. <laughs> I'm still kind of curious. I've been, and it was really? interesting. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I used to live near there, but I decided not to go. I was a little bit disappointed to see that she did not have anything to say about the language itself, right. or the preservation to, of the language. Er, efforts to revise it, to revive it, efforts to preserve it. Yeah, that's I've, my main question: is it, is anybody like going there? Like, like our friend who did the rural village songs, right? right. right? Is somebody exactly. going there and, and is it's it written pro- down? Right. There's a professor here at UH, uh, at University of Hawaii, who is, as near as I can tell, the expert on Ainu language mm. in the West. Right. And Dr. Bovin actually uh, offered right. a course last term, or not last term, um, yeah, maybe it was last term, whatever it was. Dr. Bovin actually offered a course uh, a year ago in the 2010-2011 school year on Ainu language. Hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, he knows enough about it to teach it. So there is at least one course in the world that is somebody, teaching it. Somebody knows something. Um, but having heard so much about Okinawan language revival efforts mm-hmm. based on Hawaiian language revival efforts, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of efforts to revive these things. Um, and Okinawa has its own, that's a whole separate issue in the sense that people are trying to revive the Nahashuri dialect of the, of the court and of the main port city of Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Whereas the quote-unquote dialects, which are actually completely uh, uh, mutually unintelligible languages, completely different languages of other islands are not really being looked at as mm. closely. And, you know, the Miyako language or the Amami language hmm. are kind of on the way out because mm. revival efforts are being focused on, quote-unquote, Okinawan right. of the of Okinawa island. So, but anyway, but, um, so, I don't know. But it was interesting also, one other interesting thing about this talk was that she talked about the, uh, the situation in France. I, didn't, I never thought of France as having minority groups. Um, the French apparently don't consider themselves to have minority groups either. Hmm. Um, at least In the sense level. of linguistic minorities, yeah. But, yeah, but when it hmm. comes to Basque, when it comes to um, the, uh, the Celtic language of Breton in Brittany, yeah, apparently, they, and, and uh, language of Alsace-Lorraine, the three words she pointed hmm. out. And there are interesting similarities between France and Germany, in term, uh, France and Japan, 
in terms of the national myth of homogeneity, unity. Mm-hmm. So both of these countries are countries where there is very little like provincial or prefectural law right in the sense that you know um, I mean while, dur- during colonial policy period, like that is decided at the national right. level I mean during, during during the colonial period what went on in Paris went on in Tahiti the laws that applied to Paris applied to Tahiti hmm. and the laws that applied to Tokyo applied to you know Taiwan and Micronesia <laughs> as well um, so it, it, anyway both countries that are central yeah. Um, centralized ideas of themselves, but anyway, so that's basically what went on with that talk. I don't know if anybody else. Yeah, well, yeah. What I what I, main thing I got out of it was the correct pronunciation of Nivka, which yes. is the uh, <laughs> which is a uh, I guess an Aboriginal culture in the Akhats, uh region north of Hokkaido. Uh, hmm. It's spelled N I V K H. I didn't never know how to pronounce it. Nivka. Nivka. Yeah. yeah Nivka. I, just, I just came across that term. I always thought it was earlier this week. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, uh, I mean, because during the Edo period, the Ainu were trading with all kinds of people, not just with the Japanese, but also with the Russians and with the Nivka. The Nivka. The yes. Nivka. <laughs> and with all kinds of other people, so I mm. can't pronounce. So that was something that I actually been reading about myself. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask her, which I never got around to, and I should have when we were down in the cafeteria there, was that, uh, you know, after World War II, for the most part, the Ainu were moved out of the Kuril Islands and Sakhalin and moved into Hokkaido. Mm. Uh, but I believe that was more or less voluntary, so my assumption is that some of them must have stayed, so I was just kind of curious what their status, who had stayed. No idea. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, so the I next one was uh, reforms in Japan's criminal justice system. Right. That was interesting. Oh, I thought it, was I, I, it sounds like that's sad that, that I, I got up and walked to. out. Yeah, you, you left at the wrong time. That was really a good one. So, um, yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting to be interested, but I stayed and I sat, and it was actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I, I just took a few notes, but uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're basically, I, I guess the sum total of everything is, is don't get arrested in Japan, mm-hmm. no, unless mm-hmm. you're rich. <laughs> because apparently, uh, among other things, uh, you can be held up for up to 23 days mm-hmm. in the yeah. police station for yeah. no reason. Yeah. 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 Uh, you have no right to counsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can afford a lawyer, you can get a lawyer. You have the privilege of counsel. You're you're allowed to hire. You're allowed to pay for a lawyer out of pocket. If you can't do that, you get no lawyer. Yeah. And uh, even if you do get a lawyer at some point during the trial stage, their system doesn't really. Uh, they basically uh, tell they, they you tell you to confess. As far as yeah, my understanding, but you, you don't really have any lawyer during the arrest process, during the interrogation process, during mm-hmm. you know. So. And and speaking of interrogation, uh, apparently ninety five percent. Of the uh, people arrested, uh, basically confess to whatever it is they're arrested for, mm. and basically due to uh, what is it, uh, ill treatment, beatings, and of abuse, and yeah. Mm. And confession is still considered extremely convincing evidence in mm. the Japanese system. If you've convi- if you've confessed, then you're guilty. Period. And they don't look at other evidence. They don't, mm. you know, they they can they consider the case non-contested. They, right? they don't. And they put in they don't have category. any 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 breaks on it for forced confession or. And well, and then they move it into like a stage where the only decision to be made at trial is the sentence and not guilty. They seem to be pretty lenient on murder. You get like ten or twelve years for killing someone, and that seems to be like the standard. Hmm. Unless you get the death penalty, then. That's you could be then they'll either kill you tomorrow or ten years from now. You have never know when it's going to happen. Did the presenter talk anything or talk about uh, like weapon laws? Because I'm really interested no, in. Oh bummer. 
Especially after that, that what was it? Where it was, it was in uh, Akiba, right? Oh, in Akihabara, the guy yeah. was ran around with a knife. Yeah, and after that, they pretty much outlawed anything people. over like an inch long. Mm. So don't bring anything other than nail clippers with you, basically. And they did raid recently. Not that you could get those within, on the airplane anyway. I don't know, it was a year <laughs> or two ago. They did a raid of the official offices of the people who officially um, mm. authenticate ancient swords. Like, there's a process, there's an official process for making your sword sort of authenticated as an artifact and mm-hmm. not as a quote-unquote weapon right. that you're right. allowed to keep it. Yes, yeah, so if you get like a, I guess a license or something that or something. allows you to but keep it. But the people who were holding all these items while they officially analyzed them had not yet authenticated them and therefore had not yet licensed themselves to have them. Oh. And so the whole thing was raided. What? I know. <laughs> that makes so much wow. sense. <laughs> and not that, I mean, not that I'm critiquing their weapon laws. No. I mean, I, 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 for one, would love to have stricter gun laws. But Absolutely. But, and stricter weapon laws. But, I mean, it, it, w- it would have been interesting if the pre- presenter had some thoughts or some updates yeah. on weapon law. Well, I think one of the main things he was focusing on was explaining the new um, Saivanian system. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which... Um, um, I guess basically incorporating citizens into the process. Right. Since up until... Mm-hmm. 2009 was it? Yes. It, it was. Uh, you had three judges and like no jury, no yeah, normal people, no average people. Yeah. Mm. And so they've they've basically upgraded it now to where they have a sort of a panel, I guess. So yeah. I wish I wish I'd I'd been able, or I, I wish I'd uh, stayed in that. And I wish I'd recorded had it. seen that one. <laughs> That's right. It's my third um, term. Yeah. Because uh, I'd be interested to see how that then ties into. Uh, SOFA status, the Status of Forces Agreement oh, yeah. for U.S. service members in Japan. And actually, how, I was, it would have been a good uh, I, I, I was going to ask you uh, I'm actually what, curious about what you guys, yeah. if, if you're armed, or, or how you were. Well, I mean, we don't or, or carry just around what, guns, what the level of you know, is today. I guess that's true. You're not you're McDonald's not or police anything. Or so. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't go to Ito Yokado packing heat. So, <laughs> um, but, um, uh, but, but nevertheless, you know, if you had violated Japanese law right. as an American citizen on Japanese soil, you know, where extraterritoriality, where extraterritoriality stands today. I yeah, know I mean, it's a, it's a different... The are totally pissed it, about that, but... It's a, it's a different... Yes, depending on military or civilian. Military versus different. civilian, because... Mm. Well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, we, ha- we have what's called the Status of Forces Agreement, which <laughs> governs how those sorts of things are handled uh, for... U.S. service members stationed over there, and, and we have them with every single country that oh, yeah. we have forces stationed. My understanding, in, have, maybe I'm, you would know completely. I'm totally, I may be totally wrong, but isn't Korea different though? If if you do something in Korea, that gets you in jail or what have you. The Koreans. It's not different um, in the sense that I mean, we we have a SOFA agreement with Korea as well, but the they're content. bilateral agreements, so it's negotiated between the two countries. So what we do in Japan has no bearing whatsoever on it's what the law is in Korea. Right. It's, so in Korea, don't different. you go to a Korean jail if you do something? Yes, you do. But in Japan, you don't go to Well, a in Japan, jail, right? that's been changed. Oh, mm-hmm. right. um, That's one of the results of the uh, 1995 rape trial in Okinawa mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, service members, you know, the, the three service members who... Yeah, I was in Japan when that happened. I remember that. As, I, as was I. Yeah. Um, and it... Uh, middle school. <laughs> Made it, How made many it, years ago was that? Ninety five. That was ninety five. Sixteen years ago. Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, and it was so it, it made it severely uncomfortable for me to tell people that I was an ROTC 
mm. uh, as I was going through school in Japan because mm. some people had very negative reactions to the right. military. Not to get too bogged down in that, I'd, I'd prefer not to, but yeah, the, the, I'd be interested to know how that inter, how the SOFA status um, arrangement interplays with that. And I've got a couple lawyer friends in uh, Japan with the military who I could probably ask. Sounds, but. sounds pretty. I have a couple lawyer friends. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the, the the core of the, the don't mess with me. Core of the reforms, the new system is that I guess it was introduced legally in 2004, came into actual effect in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas throughout through 2008, they had like. Uh, mock trials. Yeah, I guess you would have you would have been there for a lot of this. They they had big promotional campaigns about yeah. get on the jury system or whatever the of, word is yeah, they use for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, advertising like to like make posters on trains and stuff. Right. Interesting. I, I mean, I was probably I probably saw a bunch of it, but yeah. it was not on my radar screen. Mm-hmm. So I, didn't. I first heard about it in 2008 when I was in Yokohama. Okay, um, and then I heard about it again in 2010. But um, so yeah, so they used to have a, a panel of just three professional judges. And they would decide the case. Right. Now they have three judges along with six civilian, quote unquote, civilian judges, hmm. which is the, di- the, profession- the professional judges are Saiban Khan and these guys are Saiban In. Mm-hmm. So, and then the nine of them discuss and whatever. Um, and there's various technicalities about exactly, like, like if all, if all the uh, civilians think that the guy's innocent, but one judge thinks he's, or, and all, but all three judges think he's guilty, then the judges win. I guess, but otherwise, it's it's uh, if majority rules. Yeah. Mm. If, if if all the civilians think that he's guilty, um, but all three judges think that he's innocent, then you have to like re go with the judge. That's like a hung jury or something. Well, no, but then it's then huh. it, you, ha- you have to, yeah yeah then then, it, then he's still so innocent. so it errs on the side of guilty. Oh no no it goes, no, no, no it errs on if, the, whatever the judges, judges side. Uh, say, that, say that he's innocent, yeah. even if all the civilians say that he's guilty, then he's still innocent. Hmm. Or, 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 they have to go back and sort of renegotiate. But in any case, the end result is that you have this kind of new system in which civilians are playing a role. Um, and I don't know, I thought it was very interesting. He was saying some of the key things. Um, um, well, also, first of all, the fact that they had a jury system during and immediately after the occupation, which mm. apparently went over really badly, which did not go over well, which did not last well. Um, mm. But I think it was interesting that they even had that precedent at all to go back to. So, yeah, they're saying um, the, the the Japanese who became uh, jury members were too uncomfortable giving a sentence. I guess that's yeah, the main thing that they were. Yeah, they mm. were really uncomfortable giving a sentence, mm. and you know, choosing to kill somebody or choosing to imprison somebody. But I asked him after the talk, uh, just one on one, that I had heard in 2008 when they were first talking about putting it into play. One of the main concerns about, uh, among a lot of people was that the Japanese would because of their respect for authority and whatever, that these six civilian judges would just sort of defer to whatever the professional judges told them to do. Mm. And he said that actually because somebody, because there was so much talk about that expectation, it, now that there's actually been X number of actual trials in this system, the professional judges have always been very, very sure to let the civilians talk first. Oh, and oh, not give sense. their opinion first until after yeah. what, it, what should be done or what the sentence should be. Well, that's nice of them. So, from what little he he said, you know, from what little I've seen, from whatever, from whatever I know, I get the impression that that, that concern has not played out. Hmm. It's actually relatively fair that the civilian judges, the Saiban are not simply deferring to what the Saiban Khan tell them hmm. to believe. 
or whatever. Um, so I don't know. Apparently, David Johnson, who's a professor of sociology at UH, who I've never met, um, is apparently one of the top experts on this hmm. subject. Um, so. Yeah, one of the other interesting things that, that elicited a lot of, of gasps of horror and shock from the audience was the uh, ec- information about executions in Japan, oh, yeah. where you, you're just sort of, if you're on death row, you're just kind of there, and then uh, you get a two-hour notice that, oh, we're going to hang you today. <gasps> and that, yeah, just like that. Oh, my and, God. And then... Uh, and uh, you get, and then your family gets notified like a while, a couple of days or weeks later. Like, oh yeah, your your son was was executed a while back, and it's it's secretive and surprising. I, I don't know if the, the listeners can't see my horrified face right now, but that was a, a jaw dropper. Well, you know, the first thing I thought of was most likely the victims of the homicide didn't get a two-hour warning that you're going to be dead. So I can't well. really fault I can't really fault Japan for. What they do, right? But I mean, right. that, that brings into greater discussions of the death penalty and right. Um, like also, that. The I'm a fan that, that the, the <laughs> well, <laughs> your fan the the chosen method of execution in Japan remains hanging. So that's sure. that's something. And well, I'm sure it's a lot less brutal than electric chair. I'm not. I'm not judging <laughs> one way or the other. Let's I don't judge know the, the merits of, of let's eating <laughs> people. I'm let's gonna not. rein this one in and say let's not and move on. I just um, yeah. I mean, let's move on. <laughs> Dr. Evil style. <laughs> I just... Um, yeah, and so basically it's, it's sort of arbitrary. He said maybe the, the, I don't know, the administrator wakes up in the morning and like, uh, I think I'm going to kill someone today. And then, uh, and then he's like, okay, uh, give me some names. Uh, oh, let's no. kill this guy. But there's definitely pressure for change. Not only uh, from international pressure, like mm-hmm. we've talked about, but also um, domestic pressure. And he was... 20% of the population is, is, is against the death penalty in Japan, apparently. Yeah, but some, but he was also talking about sort of more generally that there is a distrust of the legal system in Japan. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's, and, yeah. yeah. It so, seems and there was that one movie, which I still haven't actually seen, but I heard about it a few years ago when it came out. Sore demo boku wa yate inai. Yeah. I just, was, uh, I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it, yeah. Which is a film that. about a guy on the subway who gets accused of groping a girl mm. and didn't do it and is just sort of whisked through the criminal justice system. Forced confession and then Forced confession and all that stuff, yeah. That that whole groping thing too is just so so foreign to me. You you don't grope? (laughs) No, it's just so bizarre to me because you don't even hear about that in the But when I was walking around in Kyoto there were signs like beware the chikang in this area or what have you. Yeah, well see, okay, what am I going to say? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to say I understand in the subways that it could you know but to see these I've seen these signs like in the middle of the street in like a suburban neighborhood <laughs> yeah you're walking like, down the street what? and it's like why is there a sign like, that there's gropers beware about? of Chikan in, <laughs> yeah. in this residential is neighborhood that, is that like can I say can I say pedo bear on this go for it <laughs> pedo bear beware of pedo bear <laughs> oh, oh my god no. I am going back to Nishiazabu <laughs> tomorrow, and I'm going to find that sign. I have a photo of it. Oh, you're going to get me a copy. Exactly where that sign podcast. was, and stick Pedal Bear onto the sign. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going home. I'm going to take the photo that I have, and I'm going to stick Pedal Bear. Send me a copy of that photo, too. That's, that's... With my incredible wheat, you know, Photoshop skills. It was, this in, was this in Kyoto that you saw that? It was in... No, it was in Azabu. Oh, so it's there's more than one sign? Yeah. Oh, although, although in Azabu, I'm kind of appreciated because most people who live in Azabu are foreigners, and we all know that foreigners are cause crime. Oh, of course. <laughs> Japanese but people don't cause crime. <laughs> <laughs> but 
it was just bizarre. I was just walking down the so street. So many levels of things that I just don't want to talk about. <laughs> we don't have to talk about this. We can cut all of this out. Uh, I don't care. But why is there a sign about Shikan in the middle of the neighborhood? I was in the, I was in the center of Kyoto. Yeah, but no, I've seen that. I, had, I, th- I think we had that sign. I think it may just be in every neighborhood because we had them in my neighborhood in Shibuya. Was Beware it? of gropers. That's just was it particularly busy? Were you at no, like a customer? No. Okay. I was right near the, uh, the, the, what is it called? The, the Kyoto uh, Palace. Palace, yeah. I was right near, outside the palace, just walking down the street. Really? Just happened to look off to the I, side on a side I've street. There's this big sign. sign there with like a, I think it had like a, a hand with like like red, you know, I, like I, I, fat I, I, I know things would, yeah. going off. It's saying, Beware of gropers. <laughs> Did any of you uh, use Genki as a textbook? No. For preliminary? No. Well, that's the, the textbook that I'm using at the U. I'm, for listeners, I'm in my second year of Japan, so everyone here, I assume, has exponentially more expertise than I do. But, um, I'm, you know, I'm using Genki, which is kind of a popular textbook, yeah. I guess. And the next semester, I, I saw that there's a chapter devoted entirely to learning words for, like, pervert and help me, a pervert is touching me. And Those are useful words. They, in, in, in are, Japan, apparently they are, because there are signs around the streets. Funnily enough, I had, <laughs> when I was an exchange student in Japan, I had female friends who had problems with that oh, sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, I, I, it I, happens, I, yeah. Funnily isn't the right word, but, um, right. but ironically, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's a reason that they teach it, I guess is right. what I'm saying. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah. Warners, you will this has been an unusual podcast for us, but that's okay. Um, okay. Anything else? I don't. I guess that was the. Yeah, that was. Uh, there were only two with that one, so. I don't think I have any other talks from this weekend that I really feel the need to talk about. Yeah. How about you? you I mean, I I went to the pedagogy. I went to that one, but the more interesting one that I went to. Um. I mean, do we do we have time? Oh, sure. I don't sure. have to talk about it. Go for it. It's. Stop. Stop the male circumcision. If you feel that we have something interesting to talk about, then talk about it. Oh, okay. Um, so I went to, let's see, what was the panel called? Comics and something or other. Society, oh, yeah, Comics, yeah, yeah. Manga, and Film, Session 11. Um, and there were... Yeah, I've got some thoughts on this, too. You do? Which one did you sit down on? I was, I was there for um, the last, or no... Did either of you go to Robert Mamata's talk? Mara Miller? Yes, I heard Robert Mamata. You, mm-hmm. So you heard Mara Miller. Did you also hear uh, Ikuho? I you, walked you, in at you the... You actually did go to that one. I did go this to that one. This is your second experience with that, this right? This is my okay. second experience. It was much better this time. Mara or Ikuho? Oh, Mara Miller. Okay. Yeah, uh, so I guess the one that I'm most interested in is Mara's. Um, Mara Miller... She her presentation was titled "Terrible Knowledge: Using Japan Japanese Anime to Teach World War II Without Traumatizing Students." And the the presentation that it sounds like her work. I mean, do you know anything about where she works? She's an um, independent I scholar, do. right? Which I, I mean, do. As a matter of fact, let, let me let me go ahead and fill you in on yes. what these guys know yes. about it. I heard her give this exact same talk in. Uh, September or October at, okay. U, at UH. Um, she's an independent scholar, mm-hmm. and she's been a couple different places. So right now, I believe she's just she's working as a consultant. Okay. So, yeah. Does she? She's not 
currently teaching. No, she's yeah. not she currently teaching. Taught. She has taught. Okay. And she has worked in several other places. these days. I don't yeah. know okay. how long. She also does she's, art. She's kind of been showing up on campus a lot and giving different talks. Yeah. And okay, so kind of guest lecturing involved. sometimes. She was... Um, I, and her main specialty is garden. So, yeah, um, I, I had seen her give this talk before, but... Um, sure. She uh, she has obviously revised it. Yeah, she's revised it a, a little bit, and and the presentation was, you know, I mean, as you present things, you get better at presenting them. So I was actually more, much more impressed with her hmm. presentation today, in just the stylistics of it, the sure the um, the the way that it's it's done. And I mean, I I frankly I, I told her that afterwards that hmm. I I thought she did a much better job today than hmm. what I had gotten to see before. But and I think that's beneficial to hear yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So anyway, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it since this is the second time I've heard it. Sure. So this is the way that I feel about the. I think a couple of you were in um, the the presentation about teaching anime, the first presentation. I was. I yep. was. Yeah. So this is this. I mean, it's similar thoughts, not completely the same, but but kind of related. You know, I like some of the things you're saying, but I take issue with others, right? Right. Um, so, one of the things that I, I really liked that she said was, okay, so so Mara was talking about teaching World War II and, and learning to deal with traumatic experiences related to that, most specifically the atomic bomb, okay? Um, and she talked about using two movies. What was the first one? I've never Barefoot I've, Gen. Okay, I've never and, seen Barefoot um, Gen and then Grave of the and Fireflies. Grave of the Fireflies. So, oh yeah, I've seen. So I've never seen Barefoot Gen. So there's that sort of. That's just what has happened. In yeah, um, but she was talking about using those and kind of you know, exploring them with your class and the kinds of things that you need to be aware of, right? When you teach something that clearly has trigger warnings in it um, and may still be a a very real very concrete part of somebody's experience right of lived experience of kind of thought and she just talked about kinds of things like you know you need to keep your blood sugar up and you need to um, you know, you need to kind of have an outlet for students to sort of deal with it creatively and deal with it. Um, you sort of have an outlet, right? So go home, drink some tea, write about things that make you happy. Because these are really, really... I mean, think about the time that you saw Grape of the Fireflies for the first time. Right. Oh, yeah, you know, you spend really the next sad. week of your life being, you know, sitting right. in your bed yeah. moping um, for, for very good reasons. Humanity sucks. And so she's just really talking about how to, how to help your students deal with those things while you're teaching it. Now... It wasn't perfect, of course, and and with the previous session, the one, the one, the other one about teaching anime, there there are other issues at play, right? That that clearly some instructors kind of follow and, and others disagree with. So, for example, one one of the members of the audience raised her hand during question time and, and asked, you know, I teach these same exact films, and I've had a class where some of the students laughed during some scenes. How do you deal with that? During during very traumatic right. heart, you know, gut-wrenching scenes. Right, and, and Mara explained that she just sort of preempts it, right? 
doesn't sound like she's ever had somebody laugh. So she said that she just kind of goes in goes into explaining, you know, you will be very affected by this. Right. You'll it will be very sad. Here are tissues. Um, please lean on each other. Please, you know, look to each other for support. But I think so that dramatic though. I think that I think that ultimately that's that doesn't work for every class and it certainly doesn't fully respect the current lived experiences of people right so the example that I, that I then talked with this audience member about after right. question session was you know my my undergraduate and undergraduate college is in Minneapolis and Minneapolis is a hub for recent East African um, refugees mm. and mm. so whenever I was in the class where somebody was even making a small disruption while we were talking about some kind of trauma in, you know, say like a, a an African politics session or whatever. Somebody would make a disruption and no, leave. You that is not a, an appropriate way to mm. to kind of be acting in this class where people have actually dealt with traumatic issues like this. And so I think that you know you sometimes need to have that kind of hard line. If you're talking about trauma and and helping your students deal with that sure. trauma. You know, some some instructors will experience that kind right. of. I, I think that I, I mean I'm I'm no psychologist or whatever, but right. I think that sometimes laughing at these things is a coping mechanism. Well, and that, that's it's what she was saying, right? Oh, did she? Right. I, I wasn't saying. Right. It's not purely like that they're making fun or they're taking it lightly. Right. You know, I mean, it might be. And and I mean, I I agree with that. Um, and, I, and I understand it, but at the same time, I see what you're saying. Whereas, if next to them there's somebody who's been through a similar experience, right. oh yeah, that you there needs to be some sensitivity to that. Right. So oh, yeah, no, it, it, you have to you have to balance that. Yeah, that's a different situation yeah. from just yeah. watching it in a classroom with a bunch of kids who've never left their town. Yeah, right. for mm -hmm. for me, um, I, and and like I said, this, this is the second time I've seen it, and I, and I appreciated this presentation much better because it was much more. Um, focused on the educational aspect of you know how to present it to students and and um, you know some people people react in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. I, you know, for me personally I, and just my own personal experience, you know, okay, it's a sad movie, but you know, just simply talking about the atomic bombing or whatever, it, it's not. I mean, I don't feel that it's going to cause emotional damage to me or whatever. What I would see more is if you're doing research mm. and you're going through archive footage mm. of mm. Um, uh, all this. And I think one of the There's things... There's that short... It's like a 20-minute video, right? What's yeah. it called? Um, do you know what I'm talking about, though? There's like this 20-minute no. collection of... Okay. Of old... Yeah. So keep going. Anyway, what, what, she, what she talked about the first time I saw this, that she didn't get to because of time this time, right. um, was going through um, with students of... You know, showing these movies as a way to explain about the horror of it, because when you sit there and you go through f picture after picture mm -hmm. of real, actual footage of people's faces melting off mm -hmm. because of the radiation and stuff like that, that is severely traumatic. Right. Um, and I can see how that is severely traumatic. The movies is a way to explain how horrible it is without mm. really conf you know, con really. being as confronting. And on top of that, it's an animation as well, so you're not really... Right, so you're a little... Yeah. A, a, a little... Not 
desensitized, but mm-hmm. but it's a it's a way. To, um, for me, what I thought was interesting is, I mean, I'm a I'm a, a IR politics military mm-hmm. history person. When I've you know sit there and I think about the atomic bombings, I'm looking at policy issues. I'm looking at why you know decision to drop, decision not to drop. To, you know, right. what were the Russians' involvement in it? How did they play in? What was going on between the U.S. and Japan diplomatically? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all important things to consider. But the point that I think is valuable is that it's not just a political decision. It's not just mm-hmm. a military decision that there were people, you know, individual human experiences involved. Right. And in a, in, a, in, a, in a classroom setting that the two movies are valuable ways to express that without over-politicizing it one way or another. Right. So I, I thought that, I think that's a good um, good, good thing to take take out of it. Right. Um, I yeah. mean, ultimately, it's, it's because she's talking about a class and she's talking about pedagogy, right? And she's talking about these kinds of lived experiences. All of those are, are extremely complicated and, mm-hmm. and there's no, with, with something like teaching with pedagogy, there are rarely right right ways, you know, like only right ways to approach right. things. And so, you know, take take any criticism that I've had with, said with a grain of salt, right? right? Because right. that's just, you know, might, might be my teaching style is different, but but ultimately... Well, the the value in it is seeing that another way that somebody would do it and, right. and, and, and looking at it and saying, well, is this something that I could apply to my own right. teaching, my right. own learning experience, whatever. Right. Um, you know, I this was, I thought... Maybe because it was shorter, it, it didn't stray into some of the areas that I had mm. problems with the last mm. time I saw it presented, um, like political uh, issues and, and and so forth. So, mm. um, but anyway, I'm curious what the other teaching with anime talk was about. Is mm. there anything do you have that's worthwhile to say about that? Um. So yeah, yeah. Actually, she she said some interesting things. Um, I can't remember her. Actually. Her name's in here, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Do you? Lian Fan Chen. Yeah, she's from Taiwan. I think. Taiwan, and uh, yeah, what is, what anime is, and what anime can teach media educators about the politics of viewing anime. Right, and so what she talked about was, she's a media scholar, or at least it sounds like it, media mm-hmm. studies, and so she teaches this media literacy, media studies class, something right. something related, and she teaches anime, anime in it, and. Um, she talked about the difficulties in realizing that your students, her students might know more than she does mm-hmm. about anime, right? Like, they'll, they'll come up to her and be like, oh, ins- professor, have you seen this? Uh, no. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mm, no, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, she knows more about Foucault than they do. And so sort of learning to melt those those interests, right? So teaching them about media, teaching them about cultural studies, using something that they know. Mm. And so you learn from each other. Um, She also said something along the lines of, she she critiqued the the sort of critics' view that anime is, um, has racial issues 
and gender issues. She basically said that we're in a post-ideology kind of world and like white bodies in anime aren't actually about, aren't actually supposed to be white. Well, that's... that's Which is partly, right, that's right. That's been argued and I, and, I, and, I, and I believe in that argument. Right, sure, right. That, you know, the just, be, just because it's... these right. characters as Japanese. Right, that just yeah. because it's a pale person doesn't mean that makes it white, right? Like, that I pale actually, person looks just not as, you know, it doesn't look like me anymore than it looks like a Japanese yeah. person. I actually just read a whole paper about yeah. sort of the, the, the entire history of, not entire, whatever. I just read a whole paper about the history of skin tone in mm. Japanese thinking mm -hmm. and how Japanese have always seen themselves as quote-unquote shiroi, white, right. white, and never as kiroi, they're not mm. yellow people in their own words. Right. And just anyway, the role of lighter skin, darker skin in Japanese history throughout history. Right. And they, see that they do see themselves as quote-unquote white right. um, in terms of white skin, in terms of white, right? Right. Yeah, in terms of lighter colored skin and... Whatever, the associations of light skin with beauty, associations right. with slightly darker skin with beauty for men, maybe. Right. But of but course, anyway. that's different than, than sort but of going into it saying anime is post-ideology. Yeah, yeah, it's completely different. Um, yeah, that's not... And so, you know, I, I diverged with her on that point, but I think what she was talking about that, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a problem that critics in general have, especially in media studies, right? You're... You, you'll go into something and be like, oh, this, this kind of media is really fascinating. This manga is really fascinating. But it, unless you're a fan, right? As fans have totally different interpretations of, mm -hmm. than critics do oftentimes. Well, not, not only that, but and, and, and to kind of go back to what you were just talking about with the, the racial issue, mm -hmm. one of the audience members had a severe issue with her yep. saying that and got into a little discussion about it. And, and I understand, especially after then seeing that audience member's presentation, which was yeah. about race in Japan yeah. oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, the African-American experience in, in Japan. Um, and she obviously teaches about that in right. her group. But also, she obviously does not have a very deep background in Japan. Right. Um, and which she, admi she, she admitted. Which she admitted in yeah. her own presentation. So she, you know, she, her point was, well, I look at that, that anime character on the screen that was being displayed, mm -hmm. which was white-skinned, I don't want to say Caucasian, but white-skinned, blue-eyed, blue blonde hair, which are all attributes that you have in Caucasians that you don't have in people of African descent or people, you know, I mean, so... And even if you want to say that that's a Japanese character, it's still reflecting what that right. Japanese person so, is aspiring to be. Like right. eyeballs that take by one-third of your head. Yeah. That's really what it was. You, yeah. you can make that argument. Her, her, anyway, her point was, was that, well, I look at that, and, and to be, you know, just to complete the, the knowledge loop here, this is an African-American woman. She's saying, I look at that, and I don't see a Japanese person. I see a white person because that's what is, is is being represented to me, and I understand that perspective. But yeah, we're most talking about what do the Japanese see? That's exactly. The point. It's not what do other people see. It's what do the exactly. Japanese see? Exactly. I oh, think yeah, even yeah. if you even if you're not Japanese yourself, but you have experience in Japan, mm -hmm. I look at that and I don't see a white person at all. Well, plus the characters I'm, speak Japanese. I'm, I'm Caucasian. <laughs> Um, I did not grow up in Japan. I but certainly I, don't look like that. Yeah, I mean, but I see it because I see it as a representation of a Japanese concept of a Japanese product, anime. Yeah. I don't see it as a representation of a Caucasian because it's not coming from a, a Caucasian, white, whatever, genesis. So yeah, that, that, I, that point is, is not valid. I mean, that, that idea that, um, that, that, that it matters. I mean, in... 
what I'm trying to say is her point that, it, that what's most important is how she sees it is not What's, Im what's important right. is how the Japanese see it, if, if that's the context right. of what you're trying to I think what it, she was trying to get at was that, you know, she has to, she could, because she was, she was talking about having to, te of teaching having about teaching. it, yeah. and um, that she, she gets that question from students, mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. that she does not know how to turn around, because she doesn't, ha under, she looks at it and sees that, so she doesn't know how to turn around to a student and explain anything other than that. Yeah. I don't remember where it is, but I found I saw a, like a very good like one or two page article explaining flat out like yeah. this is how it is. Japanese people see these people as Japanese, and that's you know like really explaining it out. Well, but it, it, yeah, but or I, as but, non non or as non racially. Right. But but nevertheless, the idea that anime is post ideology or something is right. Right. Because so they were just number one, people who are not. Japanese or people who are not non-racial, whatever. There are other people in these shows who are explicitly black, who are mm -hmm. explicitly American, who are explicitly Chinese. Or like couplings where the feminine character is Asian and the masculine character is like a blonde-haired. I mean, is 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 that's clear. I mean, it's not a right. mistake that they're drawn like that. Right. And how 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 are African Americans portrayed in right. anime? How are right. Americans portrayed in anime? How are Chinese portrayed right. in anime? I, I and think, also yeah. the fact that I mean. I have a couple friends who do media studies, mm -hmm. um, and and just by opening up a volume of Macademia, which is published oh, at Minnesota. Uh, oh man! Did you know they have a conference I, now? Did you they? They do. Ooh. It was the I think it was the first annual conference. Like half of those essays are about gender. Mm -hmm. Gender representation in manga, anime, video games is huge, mm -hmm. and you, it's not it's not post ideology. It's, yeah. It's totally in there. It's totally in there. I will Some put a plug now in for, for Macademia. Published yeah. at my, my university. Ma macademia? macademia? It's a combination of mech as in like battle mech. Oh, as me in macademia? As in, yeah, oh, as okay. in like mecha anime. Not I macadamia. I was thinking no. macadamia. <laughs> it's a combination of mech and academia. It's by, macadamia. By macadamia. And it's, it's a journal the from the University of Minnesota mm -hmm. that's devoted to analysis of Japanese anime, manga, video games. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's Oh, it's... Fabulous, huh. yeah, yeah strongly, and, and they, it's, it's what, I think like it's what like volumes? yeah, they're they're currently working on publishing volume seven, and I think submissions for, for volume eight are already done, but mm. um, it's it's mm. fabulous, and you can order back issues of it, yeah. yeah. To to me, it's the same thing as as the you know the same short sightedness that I see in people who try to argue that because of the extreme tanning in you know, the Gyaru subculture. Mm. They're trying uh, to be black. That right? they're trying to be black. Which, mm -hmm. it, no. No. <laughs> they are not trying, they are not, they they may associate African-American hip-hop culture as cool, but that does not mean that they are trying to become African-American. It's two completely unrelated separate things. It's more a reaction against the, you know, certain values in Japanese culture that, mm -hmm. you know, right. Un unsun bleached or unsun tanned skin is considered beautiful and so forth. So, and that goes back to, I mean, on the opposite side of things, people who are trying to be whiter, gazillions of products and advertisements <coughs> yeah. in Japan for trying to be whiter. That has nothing to do with wanting to be Caucasian. Well, I would say the uh, the Gyaru thing is more like all my friends are doing it, so I want to too. Well, yeah, and yeah. that's probably the extent yeah. of it. <laughs> but it's also it's also it's a reaction to um, the value systems of older Japanese. Where 
you right. know, you have the older Japanese woman who wants to maintain her skin as white as possible, not because she wants to be Caucasian, but because that's a traditional. Which is kind of how I feel Japanese, coming to Hawaii, yeah, or Minnesota. The, um, a traditional Japanese value of beauty. Well, the younger generation okay. not only is, re- is is reacting to that, but they're also reacting to the older male uh, values that associate that as, as as sexual attraction, and they're they're rejecting that. And they, I mean, that's a whole different topic. But rejecting the need of to carry around a parasol all the time. Yeah. It's yes. Obnoxious and heavy, and they <laughs> need to carry it. Yes. Um, but. Anyway, but anyway, think, we, but I just uh, yeah, like we need to get so done. much really interesting and valuable stuff to be analyzed. Mm-hmm. I'm not the person to do it because I'm not a modern media studies person, I'm an art history editorial person. But gender in anime, there's so much there. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely not post ideology. Yeah, but but she said she said other really, I mean clearly needing to be said things like when you teach oh, anime, yeah. learn from your students. Oh yeah, as yeah. a critic. Yeah, and, and I think that's a very whatever you, whatever the content that we're talking mm-hmm. is. I think that it's a very valuable topic. Mm-hmm. It's a very important topic right now. Well, one of my friends who's really involved in this kind of stuff, you know, manga anime studies, has posted. I mean, has said numerous times that the the main books that are already out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to name names, but whatever. Like certain, the major scholars mm-hmm. of one generation above us, uh, comparatively, don't really know what they're talking about. Right. right. And there's a need to learn from your students right. to, to to not be so focused on Foucault, but to actually like understand the anime <laughs> which itself many, many, that many you're people talking are. about. <laughs> yeah. Well, which what the I th- I think the the obligation that an educator would have, and this is I think what we try to do no on the Samurai Archives site as well with people who come in and are like, oh, I saw this anime about oh, yeah. you know ninja, and now I want to. Learn all I can. Now I want to be a ninja. Yeah. Now I want to be a ninja. Um, you you yes. laugh, but <laughs> oh no, but it's true. It's yeah. very true. Oh yeah. But I, I think the responsibility that you have is to um, is 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 to take that and 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 say okay, you see this media representation of it, whether mm-hmm. it's anime, manga, movie, whatever it is, and I I would have a better time accepting those representations if those people then showed an interest in moving beyond that representation. Oh, and that's what she was saying, is that, you know, yeah. initially, and even throughout the course, you know, be be receptive and listen to the kinds of interpretations that they have. Right. But once... Help once, them move... Right. Right. To a greater understanding right. rather, a respectful than a, rather way. than a superficial... Right. right. And, and that way. I can completely that's support. Right. right. I don't care if you like, you know, Samurai Jack or... You know, Champlu or, or, and or whatever, whatever it may be. Beats me to it. I will write a paper about samurai Champlu. Yeah, nice. when you, when you, when you. However, if you want to come and argue that that's an accurate representation mm-hmm. of history, you're gonna take a beating. Oh my right. God. So <laughs> from, from you, me, from me, personally, from me. I will find you. <laughs> Do not think I don't have the means because uh. I know people in the CIA. <laughs> um, oh dear. Anyway, with that, we should probably. Yeah, so uh, that ends our coverage of the conference, and hopefully it was interesting for everyone listening. Thank you um, so much for joining us. Alan. Yes, thank you, Ali, for joining thank us. Thank you, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Good. So I, I guess uh, we've gone over long, so we'll make it short to wrap it up. Hopefully it was interesting. Next week we will most likely be bringing you Nate's uh, talk on Nagashino. Give the audio for that and then uh, follow that up with an interview. And so I guess that's it. So this is Chris 
for Travis, me, and Ali saying mahalo. Sayonara. Bye-bye. See ya.